Amen. Aren't you glad the anchor holds? My name is Bill McKibben, and I worship in Seattle, Washington, the Apostolic Faith Church. I'm glad to be at camp meeting. The topic this morning for the teaching is the subject of consecration. And for a text, we'll start in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 29. We'll look at several Old Testament scriptures, then we'll move to the New Testament, consider some things there, then we'll move uh, to close again from the Old Testament. Exodus 32, 29 says, For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord. Every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. The English word consecrate means to dedicate or separate to a sacred purpose. In the original Old Testament language of Hebrew, the words there that are translated into our English word consecrate mean to fill your hands or to be full, or to be holy and removed from common use. They're translated, uh, those words also, into the words to dedicate or to separate, to complete or to fulfill. Now the context of this text in Exodus chapters 28 to 30 are, these are verses about the consecration or the consecrating of Aaron the high priest and his sons, their clothing and the instruments they used in the worship of God and the work of God. And it was a cleansing, a purifying, a dedication, or a special setting apart. Their lives were to be filled with the work of God, the service of God. And, and they were to be filled with that service of God, that work of God, to fulfill God's divine purpose. Revelation 1.6 speaks of believers as being kings and priests to God, much as the priests were in the Old Testament. And as, and as Christian believers, our lives also are to be filled with the service of God. They are to be filled with fulfilling the purposes of God. Now we read later in detail what uh, this looked like for those in uh, the book of Exodus. And, and yet we also find that it wasn't all up to them and what they did, but God also had a part. They did their part, but... God ultimately was the one that brought cleansing, purifying, dedication, and fulfillment. The book of Leviticus, chapter 8, if you'd like to turn there, chapter 8, verse 33. <clears throat> Once again, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 33, just a, a single verse here, it says, and ye shall not go out of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation in seven days until the days of your consecration be at the end. For seven days shall he consecrate you. So there's a, a measure here of, of people consecrating themselves. 
uh, the context of the earlier scripture, of course, was the Levites. And uh, Moses had been up on the mountain of God receiving the Ten Commandments and the rest of the Torah. And uh, Israel, in just a very short time, had surrendered themselves to the worship of idols, to the golden calf rather than God. And upon Moses' return from the mountain and his casting down of the table, uh, tables of stone, uh, he called out, who is on the Lord's side? Well, the men of the tribe of Levi responded to that call. And, and, it, and they were given a, a, a terrible uh, task of executing God's judgment and cleansing of the camp of their brethren. And you can read the... The details, it's a little gory of what God required because of his just and holy nature. And yet, and yet it was at the, their faithful conclusion of this that we have the text that I read to begin with. God said it's time for you to consecrate yourselves so that you can receive a blessing. So they had to consecrate themselves. And yet we read here in Leviticus that when we consecrate ourselves, it is still God who comes along and also does his part to consecrate us. Now it's because of the consecration that the tribe of Levi made that they actually, God actually altered his original plan. His original plan was for the firstborn in every family to be a priest and to serve him, but God shifted that with the tribe of Levi now taking the place of the firstborn from every tribe to be those that served in the temple and in the tabernacle. So there's a part of consecration that is ours to do, and of course there's a part which God alone can do. You know, our calling from God is personal and it's specific to us. And our response also must be personal, and it must be specific. When we, when we come to God and uh, receive salvation, we uh, surrender our sinful hearts to God in repentance. And when we repent, approaching God with broken and contrite hearts, we surrender our lives. It is not the brokenness, nor the contriteness, or even the repentance which makes the change. It only prepares our heart to be in the place that then God, for Jesus' sakes, say, brings forgiveness, brings salvation, brings that thing that we all so enjoy that we heard about on Sunday. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, I believe Brother uh, Darrell quoted that. It says, it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I love this that, that scripture because it says we are now in Christ. We're not in the world. We're not in uh, the devil. We're in Christ. And so if we're going to be in Christ, then we want to be like Christ. And that is where consecration comes to play. <clears throat> when you get sanctified, um, consecration continues in a more, uh, shall we say, comprehensive manner. We begin to seek the Lord. Uh, becomes evident not long after you're uh, saved that there's still a, a little bit of a pull the, the wrong way. And you, you realize that if you're saved, something something isn't sitting right sometimes. And, and you find out that <clears throat> the reality of the matter is we're all 
Adamic nature and the nature of sin. And while we're forgiven of our uh, of our committed sins, there's something that would pull us back the wrong way. So we begin to seek God. We begin to consecrate our lives. Begin to to bring our will into alignment with God's will. And, and as we do that, we, we cultivate this. Uh, then at that point, God comes just like he did with the priest and accepts our consecration, and he sanctifies us entirely. You can hear more about that if you come back later in the week. Um, a still deeper consecration is necessary uh, as we begin to seek for the endowment of power for service, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, you can go to the uh, Apostolic Faith Church website and look at consecration, and you can read these words. Consecration is the route to everything we receive from God. Consecration makes room for the fullness of God by the emptying out of the heart. Consecration is something that must be done willingly. It cannot be conscripted. It can't be forced. It has to come from the heart. In First Chronicles and also in the book of Kings, we find the story of King David, who was uh, uh, had numbered Israel against God's direct instructions not to do so, because God wanted Israel to trust in him rather than in their numbers. And so when he took a census, God uh, allowed for there to be judgment falling in the land. And, and after three days of judgment, King David's heart was broken. And he said, why are these people my sheep? Why are they suffering when I'm the one who made the mistake? And God instructed him to offer a sacrifice. By the way, I, I'm aware my voice is not 100% this morning. I know that. So we just, we all know that, right? God's voice hasn't changed, though, so you don't have to worry about that. I'm not going to. So God instructs David to uh, offer a sacrifice, and he goes to a place that we, uh, depending on which book you're in, will for this morning's use in First Chronicles, uh, he goes to the place of Ornan's threshing floor, and and he offers to purchase it. Now, when he offers to purchase it, Ornan says, "You're the king. I'll give it to you." But David. David responds with, and I'll paraphrase this for you this morning. He says, I can't offer that thing to, to God, which didn't cost me anything. In fact, I can't offer unto God something that belongs to somebody else. I have to offer what's mine to give, and I have to pay the price to offer it. And, and that's how consecration is. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't consecrate. The, the, Brother Downey will give the teaching this morning even though I wanted to. He would have too, but it wasn't my consecration to consecrate him to give the teaching this morning. I had to say yes when Brother Lee asked. And that's mine to give. It has to be given willingly. Brother Lee did not conscript me to give this this morning. He asked. I said Yes. That's how consecration works. God does not conscript us. God asks. He calls. He, he encourages. He woos. But we must give willingly. When David was dedicating the, uh, 
uh, the items that he had begun to collect for the building of the temple that would be built by his son Solomon. In First Chronicles uh, 29, verse 5, he enumerates the things which he gave, and he said this, the gold for things of gold, the silver for things of silver, and for all manner of work to be made by the hands of artificers. And then he asks a question. He says, and who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? David gave what he had, but then he charged the people, will you give what you have? It wasn't necessarily about just the gold, just the possessions. In this case, it was the service, their talents, their abilities, their time. All of those things fall under the umbrella of consecration. Well, let's move to the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, had some things to say to the Romans, a familiar text in Romans chapter 12. Some of you could quote it, no doubt. Paul is urging in Romans 12, 1 and 2, fellow believers, people who are already saved, and, and he's not urging them to repentance, but he's urging them rather to worship and consecration and to sacrificial living. Not living for themselves, but living for God. So those familiar words read like this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be ye not conformed, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were slain as acts of worship. They were slain for, uh, there were sacrifices of repentance, sacrifices of consecration, sacrifices of praise. So, so in your mind this morning, I want you to think about sacrifice and worship as being almost synonymous. Because that's the context the apostle here is using. He says, I want you, therefore, I beseech you, I urge you, therefore, uh, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, because of what God has done through Christ, because of the very nature of God and his loving kindness, that you worship that you bring your body a living act of worship. In the Old Testament, those sacrifices were slain, but Paul has now taken that metaphor and twisted it just a little bit for us in the Christian dispensation. And he said, we are not in, in the physical sense um, to slay anything except our own stubborn wills, our own selfish desires. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. He, he, he was talking about his own desires, his own will, his own plans, and all of that. And he said, I put those all underneath in worship to the God of all creation, to the, to the Lord of glory. We consecrate because God is good. We consecrate because God is holy. We consecrate because God loves us, and we want to 
have that same goodness, that same purity, and, and that same love in our hearts that he has. We want to be reflections of his character. And that's what the apostle is talking about here. Um, he says this is your reasonable service. Translators of the, the King James uh, use that word reasonable, which means logical, or it, it just makes sense. Some people might translate that word just as yeah, easily as spiritual. You see, the Old Testament service of the priests was certainly spiritual. It was physical. They had to slay uh, uh, the different offerings that were brought. And so it was, it was actually quite physical, quite strenuous to work there. And sometimes our service for God is, is quite st uh, strenuous. If you're a camping and you don't know that, you can uh, you can talk to Brother Wayne. You you can find out that you can miss some sleep and work on the security detail. Do you all like to miss some sleep? Maybe not. You, you could you can look down here and talk to Brother Ola, and you can find out what it's like to wash pots and pans in the kitchen after you all enjoy your wonderful meals. You ought to thank him. You have, you, those cooks have clean pots and pans because he and others on his crew, not just him, they're washing pots and pans. That's reasonable service. And now, I don't know whether you think washing pots and pans is worship. I don't know whether you think walking these grounds at 2 a.m. is worship. I did it for 15 or 20 years. And, and there were some times, I have to tell you, alone back there in the back, walking to make sure things were secure, Jesus and I had some good times. Sure, I had to take care of a few problems here and there and had to encourage a few younger people. I actually had to encourage a few older people to go to bed, too. You know, we love fellowship around here. People, people, you know. They aren't on their job. They're here. And those kitchenettes, there's some pretty good fellowship going on in them, even at 2 a.m. So my reasonable service was to tell them to go to bed, which they did willingly because they were in camp meeting and they wanted to fit together. And so my consecration was to do that, and theirs was to listen and follow, and they did. This consecration of ourselves to God makes spiritual sense. It follows some kind of a logical purpose, but you must remember that it is God's purpose, not ours. And we'll talk about that in a minute when we talk about the patriarch Abraham. Um, but we, we offer this as reasonable, as, as what God would require, and and. He then says here, this, this service, it, it needs to be complete. It needs to be supreme. It needs to, it, well, in the Gospel of Luke, you read a scripture, and it's kind of twisted sometimes by people, but it says that we have to love God more than we love our families. And, and the way that it says it is that we, if any man hate not his family. So we go, whoa, I have to hate my family? Well, no, God does not want you to hate your family, but he does want you to consecrate your family, and he does want you to love them less than you love God. So if there's anything that you love more than God, that needs to be consecrated, because God and our love for him must be supreme. 
And when we consecrate, God brings balance in our lives so that the things that we, we can get out of balance so easily, consecration begins to bring those back into balance. I asked someone a while back, we were, I was doing some premarital counseling, and I, and I asked the young man, I said, so, the Bible says that men ought always to pray. I said, is that right? He said, yes. I said, the Bible also says husbands should love their wives, even as Christ loved the church. Is that right? I said, right. Which one's more important? Praying or loving your wife? And it was quiet. And he was thinking, and I said, it's a trick question. I said, I put you in a place that you can't give the right answer because it's not an either or a question. It's not, should I do this or should I do this? It's, I should do this and I should do this. And when you consecrate, God brings those kinds of things into balance. Should you work? Of course you should work. If you don't work, you can't eat. But if you work so much that you forget to be in church, then that's wrong. So when you make your consecrations, God brings those things into balance in your life. That's why you come to the altar. I love it here. It says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Sister Florence Crawford taught from this very pulpit. 1931. That's 91 years for you mathematicians. Using this same text, and this is what she said. Through consecration, there comes a transformation. I'm not speaking of the blood, for we have passed through the blood, whereby our sins are forgiven. And we have passed through the blood that was shed outside the gate, that we might be sanctified. We are speaking now of being transformed by the renewing of our minds through consecration, through obedience to the word, through our wills being brought into conformity with his will. You see, our desires and our thoughts must be brought into conformity with God's will and with God's heart. When the Apostle Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Now that's the human way, right? I want to go to the bottom. I'm being facetious. Of course humans don't think like that. My daughter teaches a pre-kindergarten class, and I'm still pretty sure that human nature is the same, that when you get everybody to line up, none of the kids go to the back of the line. They all want to be the line leader. They all want to be in the front. And yet we have here the uh, apostles saying, that's not the mind of Christ. We live with a different motive. We live with a different mantra, call it whatever you want, the first or last, the last or first, he will be great among you, let it be the servant of all, and we follow the example of Jesus. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6, if you'd like to turn to that. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having 
and a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is filled. We need a renewal and a renovation, not only in our hearts, but in our minds, according to the scripture. That means we are to think differently. Our attitude, our thoughts, our understanding, our discernment, and our purposes are not to reflect the world system, but they are to reflect Christ's kingdom. Amen? Yeah, we, we belong to a kingdom. It's just not the one that's here. Now, Romans 12.3 continues the thought, and, it, and I love how it says it. It notes that God's grace begins this renewal in us by stomping on pride. You can read that if you want. Romans 12.3 talks about that. We are then to think sensibly with sound judgment because everyone's given a measure of faith. And, and so we know that's supposed to happen. But this renewal of our minds doesn't always happen as easily as we'd like it to. There's some actual biological, physiological reasons for that. The, uh, the psychologist will talk to you about neuropathways in your brain and how they get trained to doing things. And they learn about this because when you have stroke victims and others, they retrain a different part of the brain to take over the part that the other part couldn't do anymore. And, and so they learned this, but, but the problem is we, we, can be, we can become trained in the way of thinking like the world. And, and when we get saved, God changes our heart. But then God says we have to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. We have to put on the mind of Christ. And that happens through consecration. As we submit our hearts and our wills and our lives to God, and we say, God, I want your will more than I want mine, and I want your plan more than I want mine, and I want your direction more than I want my direction. We do that, and then it begins to retrain those neural pathways in our minds. It, it's really a, an amazing biological way, uh, physically, that this helps us. So your time at the altar is not just spiritual, it's actually physical sometimes. As you're praying and you're waiting for God, God begins to transform things in your heart and in your mind. And, and I love it. He told the Philippians this. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. You want to turn to this. You really do. Uh, chap chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord's at hand. We heard that last night. The Lord's at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, you like to stop right there, right? Hallelujah. Wonderful. God's going to keep me. I can just coast right into heaven. Then he says, finally, there's one last thing. One last thing we've got to get in order here. He says, finally, brethren. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things. And the things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. Practically, this is about consecrating things to God. Even things which are not necessarily sinful, we would have let those go at salvation. 
we, we would have even had sanctification and consecrated some things which maybe are just pulling us the wrong way a little. But as we go through life, things try to attach themselves, attitudes try to atta- attach themselves. And so this starts to go to a place where God's thinking, uh, working in us and talking to us about our relationships. He's talking to us about our activities. Maybe, maybe the, the music that we play or the video games that, that we play or uh, it, it might even reach as far as into our social media interactions. I'll just leave that one there. If you're saved, it ought to affect your social media applications. And you know, I have a feeling, I just have a feeling, I have a feeling that if some of us even here today would read this scripture that I just read before they posted, it would just do them a lot of good. Yes, I said it. Yes, I meant it. And I believe I have God's word to stand behind it. I'm not trying to be harsh, but I want you to make heaven. And I want to make heaven. And I want this work to grow. And it's going to grow if we consecrate. I want young people to have the same thing that I had when I was a young person. I walked in these doors, and they told me, if you give your all to God, God will work for you. If you surrender your life, it won't matter what your profession is. It won't. I got the preaching. I'm sorry. I get excited. Even with no voice, Sister Joe. <laughs> My first pastor said, when we looked at this text, he said, if you uh, don't conform to the world, if you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And he said, he said, that's an acronym, G-A-P. He said, when you do that, God fills the gap. God fills in the gap. You see, God's will is good. God only wants good for you. God wants you to do the thing that's holy, that's right, that's acceptable, the thing that will make you whole, that will fulfill your life. Now, the world doesn't tell you that. The world tells you, you can choose what you think is best for you. You can decide what you're, well, what's going to identify you. I, I'll tell you, the only identity you need is Christ Jesus. According to the scripture, not Jew or Greek, barbarian or Scythian, male or female, we don't have to, we don't have to get lost in that. What we need to get lost in is Jesus. We're not supposed to operate according to the world system. Now, Paul spoke this at a time uh, specifically about Rome and the Roman Empire, which was the, the dominant cultural and political and financial and military uh, system of the day. But the, but the reality is it applies today. We are not to be controlled by the world system. And, and it's easy for us to, to, to try to point that at somebody else, but, but it creeps in on all of us. And the way that we keep that all at bay is consecration. Search my heart, O oh God. See if there be any wicked way in me, the psalmist said. You, you can read through it. I, I don't know what you do, but when these sermons finish, I don't just kneel down here and say, well, thank God that didn't apply to me. I told the adult Sunday school class Sunday, we were talking about repentance, and they, some of them have been saved longer than I've been alive. And I told them, we all have to be careful about saying, well, that's a good sermon for them. 
If it went over your shoulder, you want to watch out because it's coming back. And when it comes back, uh, it's meant for you too. God's word applies to all of us. It applies to the preachers and the singers and the the congregation and the people in the security and the people all around. God's word applies to all of us. Um, I was thinking a, a number of years ago, my eldest daughter, who's here this morning, praying with her cousin, who's also here this morning. We're praying right there. And I was on security duty, so I'm out fulfilling my consecration. And somebody came out and tapped me on the shoulder and said, let me do your watch. Because your your kids are praying and seeking their experiences. So I came down with my brother-in-law, and we prayed with our daughters as they sought their baptism. And I remember hearing my daughter say something, and it stuck with me. Just right out loud, she said, oh, God. I don't have have this exactly right, but close. But something to the effect, oh, God, make my heart love what your heart loves. And make my heart break over what breaks your heart. Now, that is beginning to conform our will to God's will. By the way, those two girls got their baptism that night. You, you consecrate like that, you'll get, you'll get an answer from God, and that won't be the last time you'll have to pray like that either. You'll have to pray on and on like that. God wants our best. He really does. He wants a complete surrender. There's an example in the scripture of Abraham, and uh, I, I chuckle whenever I look at it. You find it in, in, uh, in the book of Genesis, and Abraham made his first big consecration in Genesis 15 when, when he offers a sacrifice to God, and... Uh, and he, you can read about it. And as he offers the sacrifice, he and God have made a covenant. And while he's waiting for God to fulfill his side of the covenant, the fowls, the buzzards, come and try to take the sacrifice away. And it says that Abraham shooed them away. And you'll have to do that. You make your consecration, and God will be there, but he may not come on your timetable. Sister Crawford, again, said something about that. She said in 1926, that's 96 years ago, she said, we come to God and present ourselves to him. We make our consecration, and the enemy of our soul will come and say, well, it isn't necessary to consecrate this, and you don't have to consecrate that. Other people have received this, and God permitted it. God permitted other people to have that, and you don't have to make that. You ever heard that kind of language? That's not God. That's the enemy. You can get away with halfway. But the scripture was very clear. God wants all. And God made that very clear not too long later when he told Abram. He said, Genesis 22, you want to turn to this one. And it came to pass after these things, verse 1, that God did tempt Abram and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take thou thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains that I will tell thee of. You don't have to start where Abraham did. When God calls, you start simply by saying, Behold, here I am. When you present yourself to God, you just open your heart and say, Here I am, God. God knows about you already. He, you know, he, he already knows what's in the back closet. He already knows what's under the rug. He, he knows that he said, here I am. 
And then God asked him this seemingly impossible thing to offer his only son, the son of promise. And yet you read in the book of Hebrews, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. That's Hebrews 11, by the way, verse 17. He says, Of whom it was said, that in Isaac thy seed shall be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, whence he received him in a figure. Isaac was dead the day they started to the mountain. There were three days. Now, can you imagine this father? And, they, and we, we don't have time this morning for me to tell you about those details, but, but we love the fact that that probably teenage son said, here's the fire and here's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham prophetically said, God will provide the sacrifice. A lamb was caught in the thicket. Today, God has also provided a sacrifice for you and for me in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and that's God's part of consecration. God gave his all. And the question is whether we will give our all. Don't make consecration some hard thing. The prophet Micah said it very well. He said, what does the Lord require of us but to do justly? It's Micah 6, 8, for those of you who want to know. To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. If you read that whole chapter, you find out, does God want uh, extravagant gifts? Does God want, no, no, God wants your heart. God wants a full surrender. Be careful when you consecrate. Don't, don't be trying to offer God things that sound extravagant and fit. Just offer in your heart. Tell your kids. Let them see that example and teach them. God's, God wants everything, but you start with the thing that you have. You start where you are. I, I, I've told the story many times that Brother Harold Barrett came by years ago and tapped me on the shoulder around the altar, and he said, you want to be a missionary? Went, oh, he's a missionary. I, I, I just looked at him, and I should have known he was looking. He was gunning for me. He was ready. He had me. He had my attention. He said, have you talked to your neighbor? He said, you don't have to learn a new language to go there. You don't even have to cross an ocean. You start where you are. I'll finish with a personal example, and then we'll go to prayer you can make your consecrations to God. 34, 35 years ago, uh, I was here at camp meeting, and uh, Brother, uh, Brother Carver tapped me on the shoulder, and, and we talked a little bit, and, and um, asked if I'd be willing to be a pastor. And I said, do you think I can do it? I'm still wondering that today, by the way. But, uh, but anyway, I went back, that camp meeting, he didn't tell us where. We did not know where we were going. But I went home. There was still one week of camp left. And um, I got home, and on Monday I went in uh, to my office, uh, and I went to my, my boss, the executive vice president of our, of our financial institution, and I told him that I was giving my one month's notice. He said, why? He said, well, I've been asked to, to go uh, work in our church work. And, and he asked me, where are you going? But I didn't know. And I told him, I don't know. He said, where do you live? He said, I don't know. I told this a long time ago, Brother O. You know that story. I said, I, said, I don't know. He said, where are your kids going to go to school? 
I said, I don't know. He said, what are they going to pay you? I said, I don't know. And he said, what do you know? I said, I know we're going. When you sign on the bottom line, you don't have to know everything. All you have to know is that God is true and God is faithful. And is worse. And, I, and that's my story, but there are literally hundreds like that here and here and here and here. People have just said, God, I consecrate my life to you. If you're not saved this morning, just make the first consecration. Just say, God, I surrender my life. If you're not sanctified. Uh, Jesus suffered without the gate that you might be. If you've been seeking your baptism, just open your heart this morning. Just let God will do his part if you do your part. And if there's a part of you that's been holding back, maybe there's been some thoughts that have been going the wrong way, it's a good time to lay them down before the Lord. And as you do that, the fire of God will fall upon your consecration. Shoo the fowls away. We've got some time here. God will do his part if you do your part. Song of invitation is number 62 or 82. May the Lord bless you as we come to pray.